Amen? You happy to be in the house of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd be with us, that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us understanding, that you'd give us revelation, and that you would connect us to your truth. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name, and I thank you for it. Amen. I want us this morning to reflect upon oppression. And I want to ask you a question. And the question is this. Why are you oppressed? Why are you oppressed? Now, for those of you that don't know what oppression is, let me describe it. Let me define it for you. Oppression is the exertion of authority or influence in a way that is demeaning, destructive, unjust, or negative. Oppression is the exertion of authority or influence in a way that is demeaning, destructive, unjust, or negative. Any negative influence that the enemy is able to bring upon your life is oppression. And you can be oppressed by a lot of stuff. You can be oppressed by fear. You can be oppressed uh, by, by addiction. You can be oppressed by depression. You can be oppressed by a number of things. You can be oppressed by suicidal thinking. You can be oppressed by the desire to hurt yourself. You can be oppressed by anger and rage and the desire to hurt other people. You can be oppressed by a whole host of different things. But what makes it an oppression is that it's not something that you directly, overtly choose for yourself, but it's something that comes on you, that takes over you, and that makes you feel powerless before it, so that the enemy is exerting his authority over you in that oppression. Now, there's a difference between being possessed by the devil and being oppressed by the devil. Believers in Jesus Christ cannot be possessed by the devil. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are not demon-possessed. It is impossible for the devil to possess you. But believers are oppressed by the devil all the time. Still a believer, still know Jesus, still going to heaven, but you're under the influence of some type of demonic oppression that is something that comes over your mind or over your heart or over your body that makes you act in a certain way or causes you to feel certain things or say certain things and you don't like it. If you could choose, if you could just make a decision, you would walk away from it right now and never be a, have that have a, a part in your life ever again, but you feel stuck. You feel like, I'm trying to obtain freedom from this thing. You've got an oppression in your life that you're trying to break free from. What I'd like to ask and reflect upon today is, why? Why are you oppressed? Where does oppression come from, and what gives it its power? And I would like to start off by explaining what oppression is not, and where it does not come from. First of all, it does not come from the fact that the devil is so strong. Oppression is not the result of the strength or power of the devil. It's not because the devil is just so mighty and so powerful that he just has the power to come overtake your life and defeat you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says that on the cross, Jesus Christ disarmed powers and principalities. What does it mean to disarm something? It means to take away its armory or take away its weapons. When something is disarmed, it's robbed of its weapons, it's stripped of its ammunition. It means that it can attack you, but it can only try to punch you. Can you imagine a whole army of folks attacking another army with nothing but their fists, but the ar other army has guns? 
That's what it's like for the devil to attack a believer. Because the scripture says that the weapons of your warfare are not of this world, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And you are armed to the teeth with the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. You got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You got the, the, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. You're armed to the teeth with all kinds of weapons. And here you have a devil who's got nothing but fists attacking and overcoming believers that are armed to the teeth. And the only thing we know how to use the weapons that God gives us, the only thing we know how to use them to do is to attack other believers. Or to attack unbelievers. I mean, whenever somebody draws the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, whenever somebody quotes Scripture, it's typically in opposition against either another believer or an unbeliever to refute what somebody else is doing. But when was the last time you picked up the word of God to refute something the devil was trying to drop in your mind? It's not because the devil's so strong. He's been defeated. He was defeated 2,000 years ago. And you know, a way a lot of, the way that a lot of believers talk about the devil, I wonder if God even has a chance against him. I mean, they just make him out to be so powerful. Oh, this, I, was, I was praying over you, and in the spirit, I saw you had a spirit of this over you. And it was such a big, demonic being that was over your life, I thought, wow, I'm going to back up out of here. It's like, that's revelation? You went to prayer, and all God could show you was that this person has a huge demon over their life, and they're just stuck? That's it? Are you with me this morning? Are you listening to me this morning? The way people talk about the devil, it's like he is so strong. Listen, I'm telling you something. It's not because the devil is strong. There's another reason for oppression. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the fact that it, he's looking for someone to devour means he can't devour just anybody. There's a lot of folks he's got to walk right past and go, can't devour this one. Can't devour him either. Nope, can't devour him. Uh, nope, can't devour... Ooh, I got a nice meaty one right here. I can devour him. Some believers are devourable. Others are undevourable. What makes you an undevourable believer? What God wants is for us to be so undevourable that the devil just has to prowl right past us. What makes one believer devourable and another believer undevourable? We're going to talk about that. First thing is, is it's not because the devil's so strong. Number two, it's not because you're so hurt and beat down. It's not because of your past and your hurt and your pain and your trauma. A lot of times when we talk about why we're oppressed, we look back to some traumatic event or some pain or some hurt in our past, some trauma that we went through, some, some pain. Listen, the devil does not walk around looking for hurt people and say, this one's hurt, I can take him over. There's nothing in Scripture that says the devil can take you if you're hurt. Matter of fact, can I say this? There are people who are a lot, who've had a lot more pain in their past than you have and who are a lot less oppressed than you are. I mean, I've known people who have past 
that would make any of us in this room go, oh my goodness, what you went through is nothing. What I went through is nothing compared to what you went through. But yet they're full of joy and they're radiating the power of God and the love of Jesus Christ. They're not walking in fear and oppression and all of these things. But yet I went through my little stuff and I decided to live a life of oppression because of it. It's not because of pain. It's not because of trauma. The blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough even to overwhelm your pain and your trauma, to give you freedom. It doesn't matter what you went through. You can walk steadfastly in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, regardless of your past. It's all, you know what? The past of Jesus Christ, the cross, is greater and more powerful than your past, whatever was done to you. Whatever happened to you, whatever you've been through, the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough. And a lot of times I hear believers talking about generational stuff. Oh, it's so deep, Pastor. If you knew how deep the bondage in my family goes back, it goes back generation to generation. To de- my great, 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 great great-grandfather was stuck in this oppression and it's traveled down through the generations and it's got its grip on my life. Oh, I guess we better start fasting and praying. Listen, let me tell you what, let me tell you what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He disarmed it. I don't care how many generations it goes back. He disarmed it. I don't care how strong of a grip it had over your granddaddy. He disarmed it. I don't care if your daddy did it and your grandfather did it and your great-grandfather before him did it. I'm not fasting and praying over what Jesus Christ already did. See, I found, Darrell, that some believers will put you on a 40-day fast and then go to a pizza party. (laughs) Break me through this, Pastor. I'll see you later. (laughs) It's not because you're hurt. Thirdly, it's not because you don't pray enough. Can I just drop that in your spirit? Just let it marinate in there for a little while. It's not because of your prayer life. Because I know a lot of you are here thinking, man, if I just prayed an hour a day instead of five minutes. And I know five minutes sounds like a lot for some of you. <laughs> I, had a, I had a kid tell me one time, he had recently got, gave his life to Christ and he had been walking with Christ and he was growing in the things of God. He said, Pastor, is it good to pray a lot? I said, yeah, it's, it's really good. He says, I mean a whole lot? I said, oh, yeah, it's good. He goes, that's cool, because yesterday I prayed for five whole minutes. <laughs> he looked so excited. I said, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. You go. You go. <laughs> the Lord just bless his heart. Listen, let me say this to you. No matter how much you pray, you're still going to feel like you should be praying more. No matter how many scriptures you memorize, you're still going to feel like you should memorize more. You could have the whole Bible memorized and feel like you don't know the Word of God well enough. You could spend your whole life in prayer. Did you know that Martin Luther prayed six hours a day from 6 a.m. to noon every single day and lamented that he did not spend enough time in prayer? It's not because you don't pray enough. And let me, listen, too many believers, we have this mindset that's governed by the natural. We think God pays by the hour. You say, okay, well, if I pray for an hour, I'll have an hour's worth of victory and anointing and breakthrough. If I add another hour to that, I'll double my victory and my breakthrough. And you think God is giving you wages. You think you're earning victory. Listen, wages only comes into play in the realm of sin. The wages of sin. Now, now watch this. God, sin pays, and it pays well. 
I mean, if you're living in the realm of sin, when you come before God at the end, he is going to calculate how much he owes you. He's going to say, let's see, okay, uh, let's see. So uh, sin, um, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for how old are you? Let me calculate that. And let's come up with the total death. There you go. Here's your paycheck. And it's what I owe you. There's not a cent missing. I'm paying you everything. You've earned this death. Congratulations. But the gift of God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, notice the term gift. It's not something earned. It's not something obtained by your piety or by your fervorance or by your petitioning God. It's not something that comes by anything you do. It's the gift of God, and a gift is received absolutely for free with no strings attached. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, period. You don't earn it. You don't earn it. It's not by works. Listen to the indicative tone, the indicative mood of this verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Who has blessed us with every... Listen, that verse of Scripture tells us that every single one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have received every spiritual blessing. You think of any blessing of the Spirit and say, I wish I had that, I wish I had that, I wish God would give that to me, it's already been given to you. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And it does not say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has made available to those who pray at least three hours a day some, most of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but there are some he reserves only for those who pray six hours a day or more. I don't pray in order to get free. I pray because I'm free. I don't pray in order to receive blessing. I pray because I've been blessed. Listen, if you're praying, trying to obtain freedom through your prayer, you're operating in unbelief. The only work of prayer is moving the mind and heart into alignment with what God has already done before you started praying. Before you started praying, He set you free by the cross. Before you started praying, He blessed you. Before you started praying, He sent the Holy Spirit into your life. Before you opened your mouth to pray, He's already procured freedom for you by the cross. It's already done. So it's not because of your lack of prayer. There are people who pray a heck of a lot more than you and are more oppressed than you are. I've known people who pray hours a day and are the most oppressed people I've ever met before in my life. And that's kind of discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> I think, man, if he can pray that much and be oppressed, why should I even pray? <laughs> Do you know sometimes praying in unbelief is worse than not praying at all? You know what? If you're struggling with unbelief, you know what your prayer should be? Help my unbelief. <laughs> That's the work in prayer. Lord, bring me into the realm of faith where I begin to believe what you've already done. And you know what? When you come to that place where faith is born in your heart, you don't have to discipline yourself to pray. You pray without ceasing. It just becomes natural. Why? Because you're so busy enjoying what you've received in the Spirit. You're seeing the fullness of it. You're feeling it. You're, you're coming to grips with it. You're seeing what God has already given you. The Scripture says He's given us the Spirit that we might know the things that we have been freely given by God. I love that passage there in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus goes up on the mountain and prays all night long. Jesus, not the disciples. And then he comes down. The disciples are just waking up and having their pancakes and cornflakes. Right? And Jesus says, come around here, guys. Come around here. They're disciples, right? He says, all right, till now I've called you all disciples. I'm changing you, changing this up. Now you're all apostles, all 12 of you. And uh, 
Along with that comes a few gifts. Um, let's see, i uh, got some gifts. Uh, here's authority over sickness and, and disease to heal it. Here's authority over demons to cast them out. You all got it. And uh, um, here's authority to preach the kingdom. And along with that, to raise the dead and cleanse lepers. So what I want you all to do is go out now, two by two, and preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, tell them I'm coming. Go ahead. Go ahead. They're like, wait a minute, no, no, Lord, don't, don't we need to pray? Shouldn't we spend 40 days in prayer and fasting in order to get... No, no, Jesus was the one who prayed. Matter of fact, show me one... Pl- wait, 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 I'm not done. This one's, about to, this, this one's about to make you blow your top. Show me one place in the Gospels where the disciples prayed. Yeah, there's one place where they tried and they fell asleep. You know who did all the praying? Jesus. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. What am I saying? Don't pray? Absolutely not. I'm not saying don't pray. But I'm saying pray for the right reasons. Prayer does not obtain anything from God. It brings your heart and mind into alignment with what God has already given you. Now listen to this. Jesus says to his disciples, freely you've received. Now go freely give. If you don't learn how to freely receive, you'll never learn how to freely give. Because if it costs you something to get it, you're going to charge when you give it. You've got to get this. It's free. It's free. There's nothing in the kingdom of God that can be purchased. It's free. And here's the big problem with believers is we try to operate in the realm of faith in the natural. And faith don't work in the natural. And then we try to come into the spirit and begin to try to purchase things. So in the natural, we're telling unbelievers, God's going to give us this over here. God's going to give me this. Oh, I just know that God's going to get. And I'm talking in faith, and then I go in the spirit. Lord, if you give me this, I'll give you. I'll this. Lord, if you do this, I'll give you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Now in the spirit, I'm trying to make an exchange with God. And it doesn't work that way. Are you hearing me this morning? So it's not because you haven't prayed enough. It's the things of the Spirit are free. Not because the devil's so strong. Not because you're so jacked up. And you are jacked up. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the problem. God's not worried about being jacked up. You know what? We're all jacked up if you look deep enough. There's not a non-jacked up person in this room. You know who was jacked up? Paul was jacked up. Man, that brother had some issues. When you're killing Christians for fun, (laughs) you got some issues. And the blood of Jesus Christ has overcame all that in a moment. You didn't see him going through 12 months of deliverance, six months of inner healing, 15 seminars. No, no, he was just, he got up and started preaching. Why? Because freedom is in Christ. You hearing me? So then why? If we're not oppressed because the devil's so strong, if we're not oppressed because we're not spending enough time in prayer, and if we're not oppressed because we're so jacked up, why are we oppressed? Can I tell you that there's only one reason you're oppressed? Because of your mind. The devil only has one avenue of influence in your life. Only one. If he can't get in here, he can't get in. There's no back door. There's no secret passageway to your life that the devil finds. There's no trick to it. There's only one way the devil can get in and have any influence in your life, and it's through your mind. It's through your mind. And if your mind is sound and he can't get in, then he can't do anything to you. He cannot touch you. 
That's why Jesus said, the prince of this world's coming, but let him come. He's got nothing in me. You know why? Because my thinking is governed by my relationship with the Father. Because my thinking is completely governed by my relationship with the Father, the devil has absolutely no point of influence into my life. You know, I like talking about demonic suggestions, because that's all the devil can do is make a suggestion. You know when somebody makes a suggestion, can I make a suggestion? Can I suggest something to you? I think this will help you. And you know, when somebody makes a suggestion to you, you then have the power to determine whether to heed it or not. You can say, thank you for that suggestion, but uh, you know, I'm not going to go with that this time. Thank you. Somebody says, you know, can I suggest that you get a different haircut? Can I suggest you drive a different car? Can I suggest, can I suggest, can I suggest? That's all the devil can do. May I suggest that she doesn't like you? <laughs> May I suggest that nobody in this church likes you? May I suggest that you are defeated? Man, that's all the devil does is just come and make a suggestion. That's all he can do is suggest it. And if you grab onto that suggestion and begin to believe it, now he's got power over your life. If you reject it and refute it, it does nothing to you. Are you hearing me? You know, we ministered in Ethiopia in May, and, and uh, one of the most dramatic things that was happening at this crusade is demons were coming out of people right and left. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, they're manifesting in the crowd. The ushers were carrying them to the, the deliverance tent behind the platform, and then they had teams of people delivering people. I mean, literally, there were hundreds of people in every meeting that were just, bam, manifesting demons and demons getting cast out. There was the, probably the most dramatic miracle that I saw at the crusade. I, I was, to me, it was the most gratifying was we were praying against demonic strongholds over people's lives and i command every power satan to break over your lives right now in jesus name we're praying this over a crowd of 200,000 people and all of a sudden this man was brought up to the platform and he was jumping and dancing and his brother came up after him holding some chains his brother had brought him there in chains he was so violently demon possessed that if he was not chained up he would attack people so his brother's leading him around in chains I mean, literally, they had to sleep him on the back porch, chained to a post, so that he wouldn't get free and attack people in the night. I mean, this brother was, this brother was gone. All of a sudden, when we were commanding demonic strongholds to break, all of a sudden, his brother looked back, his hands were in the air, still chained, but he was rejoicing. His heart was free. He was worshiping Jesus and rejoicing and praising God. His brother unchained him, and he started dancing and jumping and worshiping Jesus. They brought him up to the platform, and he was dancing and jumping. And then his wife came up, and she's weeping. I thought, this is a powerful miracle. I'm not talking about just the, the, the restoration of somebody's hearing or somebody's sight. This woman gets to go home and get in the bed with her husband and sleep there and wake up the next morning in his arms. When was the last time she had that? When was the last time that happened for them? And I was just rejoicing in my heart at the restoration of this family. But then an Ethiopian pastor, he told me, he said, you know, a lot of these people who have manifested demons here, they've been delivered before. I said, what? He said, they go to our churches around here, and they come, these same people have to get delivered again and again and again. And again. I mean, they get free, and then they go home, they get all bound up again, and then they come back, and they manifest again in the service, and then they get free, and it happens, and it's just a cycle of bondage and deliverance, bondage and deliverance that these people go through. I said, why is that? He said, it's because of their minds. You see, they come to church, they manifest, they get the devil cast out of them, and then they go home, and as they're walking home, they hear a rustling in the trees, and they think, oh no, the devil's back. And then they just feel a little itch on their shoulder, and, th and that's the confirmation. That's all the confirmation they need. Oh, no, he's back. He's taken over my life again. And uh, 
And just the fact that they believe it by faith that the devil is back, they open up their minds and receive him in again, make room in their hearts for him, and he comes in and takes over again, and they're in just as bad a condition as they were before they got delivered. It's because of the weakness of their minds. Now, we don't see that as bad in America. It's not as overt. You don't see people being drug around in chains in America, although some people should be. There's some folks on the street that are just obviously so out of it that you think, you know, that brother needs to be chained. I'm afraid to walk by him. I think he is going to attack somebody. And, I, you know, you see people who are just out of it attacking people on the street. You know, it's just kind of scary. But, you know, you don't see people typically in America that should be chained, but, but you do see people going through cycles of freedom and deliverance and freedom and deliverance and freedom and deliverance. You got delivered from that addiction. And you jumped and shouted and praised God. And then you went home and got all tied up in it again about two weeks later. And then you came back to church and got delivered again. And you jumped and shouted and praised God. And then you went home and got all tied up in it again. Why? Because all of a sudden you felt a little twinge and you heard a little rustling in the trees and you thought, Oh no, I thought I was delivered, but I guess I'm not. Your mind is so weak that you don't believe in the freedom that Jesus came and by which he set you free. And because you don't believe you're free, you're not. It's because of the mind. Now, what if we reverse the expectation? You know, what if we reverse the expectation? So if I hear a little rustling in the trees, I assume it's a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit is here. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, and if I feel a little twinge on my shoulder, oh, there's the confirmation. God has done it. It's done. Whatever I've been asking God for, it's done. I know it in this. I mean, what if you switch? You know, I remember growing up, my, my grandmother, we used to spend weeks at a time at my grandmother's house. She lived in the projects. In the Lockwood Projects on 65th and East 14th. And we'd go there and spend weeks with her. And, you know, she had all hardwood floors. And, you know, hardwood floors, they creak in the night. Well, I would wake up and hear creaking in the other room and think, oh, no, it's, it's, it's done. There's thugs here. You know, they've done broken in. They're going to kill us all. It's all over. I knew it was only a matter of time before we all get killed by thugs. And now here they are, you know. So I'd wake up, every, I'd wake up all through the night hearing creaks and the, oh, no, thugs. I'm, I'm afraid. And one night I woke up and my grandmother was awake and she's smiling. I said, what are you smiling about? She said, do you hear the angels tiptoeing through my house? She said, every night angels just tiptoe all through my house. I can hear them walking. You hear that? That's the angels. Her expectation was different. When she heard a noise, to her it was confirmation that God was with her. When I hear a noise, at that time it was confirmation that I was going to die. Her mind was in a different place. You know what that did? It conditioned my thinking. Start training your thinking on the fact that God is with you instead of training your thinking on the idea that he's against you. Yeah. Ephesians 1.3 says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. A lot of times I hear believers saying, I'm cursed. The word curse should not be a part of your vocabulary. And, and whenever a believer says, I think I'm under a curse, they always come up with some trivial train of events. This morning I woke up, the milk was spoiled. And then I got in my car and I was out of gas. And then I went to the gas station, my ATM card didn't work. And then, I, and then when I got out on the street, I had to use a credit card to fill my tank. Every light was red. I know I'm cursed. I'm cursed. I know there's a curse 
over my life. You need to break that thinking off. You need to suck that poison out of your mind. You cannot be cursed when you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Matter of fact, the scripture says that Jesus broke the curse off of your life by becoming a curse on your behalf. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. No curse can rest over your life. Remember when Balaam tried to curse the people of God? He couldn't even do it. I'm talking about this demon-possessed witch doctor tried to speak a curse over the people of God, and he ended up blessing them. He said there's no divination against Jacob. There is no divination against Jacob. Listen, the de- I don't care. You say, oh, there's a spirit of witchcraft. I feel the spirit of witch. Somebody at my job's doing witchcraft over me. Let them do it. I know there's somebody in my family that's cursing me because stuff is going wrong in my life. Switch your expectation. You've got to break that thinking out of your mind. You can't. Listen, I don't care who's doing what against me. I know who's doing what for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer me. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you really believe that? Then why are you crying about who's against you? They're against me on my job. They're against me at my family. They're, this person's against me. This person, but the scripture says if God is for me, no one can be against me. That means that opposition is an illusion. Remember we've talked before about primary and secondary realities. The fact that God is for you is the primary reality. Little peons who are against you is a secondary reality. <laughs> the foreness of the divine being is a reality that always trumps the againstness of the non-divine being. The fact that God is for me. You say, well, I've been rejected in my life, but the scripture says you've been chosen by him before the foundation of the world. The primary reality is that you're chosen. Rejection may be a reality in your life, but it's a secondary reality. And the fact that God has chosen you trumps any rejection that you've experienced. I tell you what, I was lamenting, and I experienced a lot of rejection in my life. But I remember I was lamenting and weeping about some rejection that happened to me, and the Lord came to me and said, Son, you've never been rejected. I said, What? I said, Lord, that's not even true. Now, when you're telling God what's true and what's not true, it doesn't go over so well. The Lord said, no, son, you have never been rejected. You've never been rejected. You know, what that, you know what God was saying to me? When I chose you, I chose you so thoroughly that regardless if the whole world rejected you, you still couldn't be rejected because my choosing overwhelms the rejection of men. The fact that God has chosen you is the foundational reality of your life and all rejection bounces off of you unless you grab a hold of it and hold on to it and embrace it. God's steadily trying to pull it out of your hand. No. <laughs> Ephesians 4.17, Paul says, Therefore I say this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thinking. In the futility of their thinking. Futile thoughts. It's not about futile actions. It's first and foremost about futile thoughts. The Gentiles walk in the futility of their thinking. 
And Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 21. He says, For though they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor were thankful, but their foolish hearts were darkened, and, and their thinking became futile. For though they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor were thankful, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see that? Futile thoughts leads to a darkened, thought, a darkened heart. How do you know when your thinking has become futile, when your heart starts to get dark? That is, when what you start feeling and sensing becomes dark, you know your thoughts are futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Then it says, professing to become wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for that for images made to look like mortal man and beasts and reptiles. Exchange. Look at your neighbor say, Exchange. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Remember on Thursday night we talked about Proverbs 23, 23. It says, buy the truth and don't sell it. You've got to buy the truth. You know, when somebody says, you ever had a trifling friend? You know, you know what I mean by trifling? You know? <laughs> I had a buddy who was always talking about, about to start this business. And it's going to make me like $5 million a month. And then after that, I'm going to start serving God when I get my money right. And I used to think, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. When you say I don't buy it, what you mean is I don't believe it. When it says buy the truth, you know, God comes and says you're free, and you're thinking I don't buy it. Unbelief is an accusation against God. It says, God, you're trifling. Unbelief is the assumption that we serve a trifling God. That should go up on Facebook. <laughs> Unbelief is the assumption that we serve a trifling God. I don't buy it. Proverbs says, buy the truth. Buy it. Meaning, buy into it. And the whole phenomenon of buying and selling has to do with an exchange. Now, we've already said that it, it's, it has nothing to do, you can't buy it with money, you can't buy it with time, you can't buy it with fervor. But it says here they exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. They exchanged the incorruptible for the corruptible. When you're talking about buying and selling, you're talking about the phenomenon of exchange. That is, when you buy something, you exchange something of lesser value for something of greater value. If you're walking in the store in Safeway and you got $4 in your pocket and you see that a dozen eggs are $2.99, you go to the cashier with that dozen eggs, you hand them your $3.30 or whatever, and they give you $0.70 cents back and you got your dozen eggs, you just exchange something of lesser value for something of greater value. That is, those eggs in your hand were more valuable to you than the $3 in your pocket. Otherwise, you don't make the exchange. When you look at something, you say it's too expensive. You know what you're saying? It's not worth the exchange. It's more valuable for me to have this green paper in my pocket right here than to have that thing. You, go, you know, if you walked into a barber shop, say, how much is a haircut? They said, $300. Ha! You just turn and walk away. I'm not, I'm not into that exchange. You're trying to have, you, you, the value on my end is greater than the value. All I got is a haircut from you. You got $300. That's too much. Buying the truth. The truth is expensive. Salvation is free, but truth is expensive. 
How much does it cost? It costs all of your doubts. It costs all of your fears. It costs all of your excuses. It costs your ability to have a pity party. It costs you the right to be angry anymore. It costs you the right to feel sorry for yourself. And if you're not ready to let all that junk go, you can't buy the truth. You'll hear it, but you haven't bought it yet. It says, buy the truth and don't sell it. You know, I see a lot of people buying the truth at church. God is with you. Oh, amen, hallelujah. And as soon as somebody cuts you off, Lord, where have you gone? Truth for sale. Believers setting up truth flea markets. Selling truth on eBay and on Craigslist. I'll sell the truth for a momentary pity party. got to get your mind right you can't exchange the truth of god it says down further in verse 28 it says since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of god since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of god retaining the knowledge of god means that whatever god tells you whatever god shows you whatever god reveals it to reveals to you you keep it in the forefront of your thinking that's what it means to retain it you know if if if, uh, if you ran into, let's say, I don't know, Bill Gates at the airport, and you said, Bill, you remember me? Hook a brother up with a job, right? Let's say you had sent him your resume, he had read it, and he had been meaning to call you, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah I remember you, brother. I remember you. Listen, I, I got a job for you. It pays $1.5 million a year. But give me a call and we'll talk about it on Monday. My cell phone number is 559-372-4732. And then he gets on the plane and he leaves. You're going to be standing there like 559-372-4732. Remember this. 559-372-472. Can you remember those numbers? Remember, remember. You'll be writing it on your hand. Give me I need something to write with. Give me lipstick. 559-372-4732. You'd be telling her, you'd be putting it in your Facebook wall. You'd save it on your PDA and five different things. You would do whatever it took to retain in the forefront of your thinking that knowledge. Why? Because it's so worthwhile. If I retain this through this number, this number, if I retain this number in the forefront of my thinking, it's going to open the door for me to get a job making $1.5 million a year, so it's worthwhile to retain it. I've got to keep it at the forefront of my thinking. But yet I see believers all the time who don't retain what God said to them yesterday. What did God give you in church yesterday? You know, I don't even remember what the pastor talked about yesterday. It's just not worthwhile to retain it says here in in Romans 128 because they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God God gave them over to a depraved mind God said you don't want to keep me in your thinking okay think to yourself go ahead have at it you see that their thoughts became futile their foolish hearts were darkened Professing to become wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for corruptible things like men and beasts. And because they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind, and now they're stuck in this whole rut. So how do you break free from that? Very clear in this passage. Verse 21 again. Though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor were thankful. Stop right there. 
If you just start glorifying God and being thankful, you take yourself out of this whole progression. This passage has nothing to do with me anymore. Why? Because I've learned how to glorify God and be thankful. And when I find myself anywhere on this trajectory, I can break it. How? By stop well, Father, I give you glory. Father, you want to talk about learning how to walk free in Christ? You don't have to know ten secrets of the spiritual life. You don't have to know 15 different deliverance prayers. You learn how to start glorifying God and being thankful. Father, I glorify you. I bring you glory. I bring you glory. I thank, I thank you. I br- you know what? The moment I stop glorifying God and being thankful, that's the moment my thinking becomes futile. Because any thoughts that don't glorify God and thank him are futile. But I'm delivered from the futility of my thinking the moment I start bringing God glory and thanking Him. The Lord came to me yesterday and He said, Son, I only ask three things of you in this new season. One, glorify me. Bring me glory. Two, be thankful in all things. And three, believe that I reward those who diligently seek me. Can you do those three things? That's not hard, is it? You know what? It's really hard to try to renew your mind from the place of negation. If you're focusing all your energy in stopping a particular train of thought, it's called a train of thought for a reason. It's a train, and it's, it's going to steamroll you. You can't stand in front of the train and stop it. But you know what you can do? You can fill your mind with the right stuff so that there's no room for the wrong stuff. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and anything praiseworthy, think on these things. If you fill your mind with that stuff, there's no room for all this other junk. Fill your mind. I want you to focus on three things in the next week. Number one, giving God glory. You have a moment of confusion where you feel like, Lord, I don't know which way is up. Just stop and say, Father, I give you glory. You have a a moment of temptation where you feel like the devil is coming against you. Just stop and say, Father, I give you glory. I bring you glory, Father. I bring you glory. I bring you glory, and I thank you. Stop and start giving God thanks. You have a moment of discouragement and depression, and you feel like the whole world's falling in and caving in around you. Just stop and say, God, I thank you. I give you thanks that you're with me right now. God wants you to know that he's with you. He wants you to know that he's with you. He wants you to know. And the Lord was speaking that to me so strongly during worship here in second service. God is saying, I am with you. I am with you. God wants you to know beyond a shadow of doubt that he's with you, that wherever you go, he's with you. I love it. The psalmist said, I know that you're pleased with me. Why? Because my enemies don't triumph over me. He didn't say because my enemies don't come against me. Oh, they come against me all the time, but they don't succeed. No weapon, weapons are formed against me all the time, but they don't prosper. I know that you're with me. Why? Because my enemies don't triumph over me. Listen, many of you have been attacked on every side by all kinds of trials and all kinds of tribulations, but not one of them has been able to take you out yet. Your enemies don't triumph over you, and that means God's pleased with you. And he's with you. You be strengthened today. You be encouraged in your mind. And you recognize that you have already been given freedom in Christ. You're free. You're free. Does that sound foreign to you? If you're still thinking you have to get free, you're still walking in unbelief. If you're still waiting for some power encounter to bring you freedom, I know people that manifest all kinds of stuff and fall on the floor and roll around and speak in tongues and shanda mabotai and husto mahanda and go home just as bound up as they were before they came in. 
(laughs) Are you waiting for confirmation? I know folks that are waiting. You know, they got 16 confirmations and 15 prophetic words and 20 signs and 15 visions and five revelations and still saying, God, just give me one more confirmation. Will you just start believing? Will you start believing? Walk steadfastly in the liberty by which Christ set you free. It's free. It's free. But you've got to get your mind right. You've got to get your mind right. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just speak blessing. It's okay. It's okay. I speak blessing. And I speak encouragement. And I speak strength to each and every one of my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, I establish each and every one in the truth. Lord, there's many here today, and I just sense there's been a strong attack of the enemy this week in the realm of discouragement, disillusionment. What the enemy is doing is he's bringing all kinds of evidence in an attempt to refute the truth. But you know the evidence of the enemy only works as long as you still think that the truth is on trial. He's bringing evidence to try to convince you that you're not forgiven yet. He's been presenting evidence to try to convince you that you're not free yet. He's been presenting evidence to try to convince you that you're not accepted, that you're not loved. Some of you married folks here, the devil's been trying to bring evidence to convince you your spouse really doesn't love you, really doesn't care, really doesn't understand you. That there's really no oneness between you. Some of you core members of the church, the devil's been trying to bring evidence to convince you that the church really doesn't appreciate you. It's really not going in the direction that you want it to go. Some of you single folks, the devil's been working overtime to try to convince you that God really doesn't know what you need. He really doesn't have your back. He really doesn't have you in mind. And he's really not providing all that you need. All kinds of evidence. And the whole purpose of all of this evidence is to refute the truth. But the truth still stands. I don't care how much evidence that the enemy brings, the truth is stronger than that evidence. Today I establish you in the truth. You are more than conquerors because he loved you. You can do all things through Christ who gave you strength. Married couples, you are one. You are one. Church family, we are one. We're not divided. We're one. Single people, God has you in mind. He knows what you need, and he's going to provide it in his time, not yours. Some of you are in a financial struggle. The devil's bringing all kinds of evidence that God really doesn't have your back. He's really not providing for you. I remove that from your thinking. You have all that you need. It's all there. It's all in place. My God is providing for all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The devil's bringing all kind of evidence to convince you that you're still in bondage. I refute that right now in Jesus' name. You're free. You're free. Your whole. And I command your minds to be strong. 
command your hearts to be steadfast. And I release you into blessing right now in the name of Jesus. You're going to walk whole and walk free. Why? Because you believe it. Your expectation is going to be trained on victory. If you do not believe that evil will be overtaken by good, if you do not believe that every attack of Satan will be overcome by the power of Jesus Christ, you are an atheist. Right now, I remove atheistic thinking from your mind. And I establish you in the place of faith in Jesus' name. And I say to you that you're more than a conqueror. That you're more than an overcomer. I speak blessing over 